0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Porter here on 970 WDAY-AM and 93.1 FM. We're going to dive right into it. we got a busy show today. I uh, Later in the program, State Senator Nicole Pullman is going to be on. There's a dispute over some, some pharmacy-related legislation, prescription drug legislation uh, that was passed uh, during the legislative session. It's being upheld. It's being... It's working through the court system. Health care is obviously a big part of the national debate right now, but we're going to talk to the senator about that later in the program. Right now I am joined by uh, former Fargo police officer uh, David Belkey and his attorney, uh, Mark Fries. David, welcome to the program. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on and let me share my story. Uh, Mark, thank you for your time as well. My pleasure. I wanted to uh, – th- this, this is the report from the uh, Fargo Forum uh, from yesterday – uh, it it say, states, I like, quote, Fargo Police Chief David Todd has fired Officer David Belkey for what he said were, quote, intentional and willful decisions to not serve the public by not going to the scene of incidents and failing to take reports the dismissal on monday august 7th follows a recommendation from deputy chief ross renner to terminate Belky who became the subject of an internal affairs investigation after he reported failing to appear at a court hearing on a day off belki is a 15 year veteran of the police force and a four time life saving award recipient He had been on paid administrative leave while Todd was weighing the disciplinary action. Belki was accused of lying to investigators, but his lawyer said he spoke in error error in ambush interviews and called the accusations slanderous and false. Um, Mark, I want to talk. I want to ask you first and then we'll ask David some questions as well. But you say basically what's coming from the Fargo Police Department is slanderous and false. Explain that for us.
1: Well, David didn't speak in error. Um, David did uh, tell the investigators consistently and thoroughly what had taken place. Um, One of the alternative positions that I advanced is that maybe his recollection was mistaken. I don't believe for a minute that it was. Um, What had happened here, Rob, is that they, uh, unilaterally, there was no citizen complaint. There was no supervisory suggestion or concern. Just unilaterally after Dave missed court, Uh, The department launched a year-long or or a retrospective year-long look into Dave's calls for services. They pulled 200 of the calls for services, found a number of them that they thought should have been handled differently, and then asked him specific questions about them. I sat with Dave as he was interviewed on each of those, and he outlined with specificity what he had done along the way, including three calls that he had answered by phone, which is a routine practice with the Fargo Police Department and other agencies, And then later, GPS data showed that he didn't or suggested that he hadn't gone to the scene when, in fact, he recalled specifically going to the scene in those calls. So it wasn't that Dave spoke in error. He spoke truthfully all the way through this. And when the department didn't believe his truthful account, he went in and took a polygraph examination and proved that he was telling the truth.
0: David, what's going on here? Obviously, you you feel that that you were wrongfully terminated. What do you think happened? I mean, why, why did it come to this?
2: Boy, I've been asking my question of that myself uh, over these past few months. I don't know. um, I don't know if it's a personal animus towards me that's festered into the point where they no longer want me around and trying to fit dialogue to prove that they don't want me around and shouldn't have me around. But uh, in my opinion, I've worked hard and given a lot to this community over the last 15 years. Why would it
0: be a personal animus? I mean, why, why would you say that?
2: Well, I, people are people, and you don't always get along uh, with everyone. Obviously, we work in a, a very dynamic situation, and, and being there that long, I've had the opportunity to see people get promoted or move along or resign or go on to different jobs, and sometimes past behavior or past... Uh, arguments with one another or different view on philosophy might i guess festered up into the point where i no longer fit one of the uh, the mold this
0: this started with with an incident where you had a y- 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 you were supposed to appear in court um, on some matter I, I guess it's not clear what uh and it was on your day off and and you missed it and and that that was the impetus that that started all this can you can you give us some shine shine a light on that for us david
2: Yeah, it was a uh, stop sign violation that we're required to investigate when we go to traffic crashes. Um, I didn't witness the violation, but the evidence regarding the crash supported the finding that uh, the other driver had, in fact, ran the stop sign. Uh, Oftentimes, those subpoenas are emailed to us, as well as some are given to us in shift briefing from a supervisor. I, uh, was on my day off and received a phone call from another Fargo police officer that was in city court on trial, saying, "Hey, um, there's a trial going on. Are you going to make it?" I totally screwed up. I I didn't log that into my phone. The subpoena had fallen off my locker at work and was underneath my clothing, and I screwed up. So I self reported that right away to my supervisors.
0: So 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 you met you messed up. You you, you missed the court date you messed up and then you you turned yourself in basically you said hey i screwed up guys they then launched and, and looked back over a year basically at your job performance and and they're saying because i'm i'm looking here and i have i have the memorandum august you know dated august 7th from chief todd to yourself you know basically laying out the case uh, for for terminating you and, you know, he's got a number of bullet points here where, where he's talking about, and I'm quoting now, intentional and willful decisions to not serve the public by not going to incidents or scenes, not taking reports involving criminal activity or allegations of criminal activity, many of which are mandated reports and not collecting evidence. Now, taken
2: at face value, those are some pretty serious charges. How do you respond to those? Yeah, that I mean, that sounds horrible. So when I when I read those and I know that my community is is reading those comments, not knowing any of the backstory or how operations of police in the city function, it, it's devastating. Um, I've responded to every single call that I've ever been dispatched to or assigned to from dispatch, whether it be in person on phone or some businesses that we frequently, uh, service by email, uh, all those calls can be tracked in the calls of service. Um, if a report isn't generated, it's always been my philosophy to add, a permanent record, which are comments to that call for service to document, you know, the who, what, and where. Um, I assume that the allegations of not collecting evidence was, and again, I'm just guessing, was uh, the gal that found a spent nine millimeter shell casing, which, after reviewing previous dispatch records, didn't indicate to anyone that a crime had been committed and that she had found it in the curb near her home. And during the internal investigation, they said it was appropriate that I handled that on the phone and, and told her that it wasn't involved in a crime and to just dispose of it. So I assume that's where that's coming from. Uh, Rob, you have to understand that people call the police because they're not sure what else to do. Um, the definition of report from an from a average Joe citizen, my neighbors or my family, is vastly different than how a police officer defines that word of report. There were instances where, uh, you know, a minor hit-and-run situations had occurred and there's nothing to investigate. There's scrapes on a bumper. The vehicle was parked on the street. There's really, there's nothing to investigate. Now, does that generate a full-blown police report that gets reviewed by a supervisor, that gets reviewed by an investigator, that gets assigned out to an investigator, or filed inactive, and, and eventually gets... Push through to the prosecution of a crime there's thousands of calls that go on in the city of Fargo that don't meet the level of taking a formal police report for the purposes of prosecuting anyone for a crime
0: David I I, I gotta take a break and I want to come right back and we're gonna talk about this a little further if people want to join in seven oh one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday.com talking with a former Fargo police officer David Belke who was uh, terminated yesterday by Fargo Police Chief David Todd and his attorney, Mark Freed, the Vogel Law Firm. We'll be back right after this is the Rob Report on 970
3: WDAY-AM and 93.1 FM.
0: Welcome back, Rob Report, talking with former Fargo Police Officer... David Belke, as well as his attorney Mark Freeze, David of course was was terminated, which was in the news uh, yesterday, and uh, we're getting his side of the story on that. And and David, I, I appreciate you talking to me about this. I know this is this is a difficult moment, you know, particularly with the amount of public attention that this is getting. But I wanted to make sure that that you got the opportunity to to speak as well. Um, I, I'm looking at at, at this memo of. Uh, of that that chief todd put together and obviously you know we have sort of the the, the precipitating situation which which you admit you were in the wrong you you missed a court date uh and 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 you messed that up but he goes back and and they've got you know they're saying that they have gps data uh recorded through i I guess whatever system they have for that sort of thing uh showing that, that that you weren't going to to locations on the dates in question that, that you said that you were going to. Can, can you clear that up? I mean, how, how can, I think a lot of people say, well, if you're saying one thing and GPS says something else, well, GPS doesn't lie. You know, I, I think a lot of people might, might struggle with that. Can you shine a light on that for us?
1: Rob, I can, I can Oh, do sure. That. Go ahead. Mark. Um, what, what had happened is initially when Dave had reported that he had responded to these calls and what had happened is he'd taken the call by telephone initially The complainants who made the call were satisfied with just a telephone call. They didn't request that he come out. Again, no citizen ever complained until they were contacted during the investigation a year later and suggested to them that they should complain. But these complainants were happy with the nature of the call. Dave, on his own, just drove by the location again. For example, one was a hit and run. He drove by to see if there was debris on the roadway. Another one he drove by and one of the complaining witnesses was actually out and he spoke with her. She doesn't recall that. Dave specifically recalls it. But the GPS data that the department is relying on is inconsistent with the polygraph examination that Dave did, and it's inconsistent with his memory. When we learned of the GPS evidence, the first thing that Dave did is he went to the the IT folks for the city saying, look, I was part of the team that helped build this computer system, and there are all sorts of problems we would like to visit with you to find out what we're relying on. Uh, The IT people were given a gag order. The police department, the interviewer, the investigator, and the chief ordered that they not talk to Dave about what evidence they had gathered. So I sent out a private investigator. He went and interviewed dozens of people who reported tons of system errors with the GPS system, problems that that would uh, demonstrate that the GPS evidence is not reliable, uh, and then we asked for additional information. We got some, but we didn't get all of it. So they're relying basically on information that is inconsistent it's uh, inaccurate it's unreliable there are tons of problems the company that administers it uh, in the middle of lawsuits across the country based on its inefficiency uh, and we have dozens of officers from multiple agencies that are saying this system is not reliable enough and in particular the avl playback feature that the department used to conclude that dave didn't go by the scene has been proven time and time again to be unreliable 701-293-9000,
0: 701 if you want to join the program, 888-970-9329, email talk at wday.com. So there's there's question about whether or not that GPS data is is reliable. The other thing in here is is they're talking about exhibiting, and I guess, David, either you or Mark can answer this, but exhibiting conduct that lacks courtesy, empathy, and patience towards the public. Also here saying disrespectful and courteous behavior towards members of this department, both in direct communications and in text messages. Um what, what, what about these? I mean, essentially, I, I guess kind of saying that, that you act unprofessionally or that, that, that you're difficult to
2: work with. How do you respond to those, David? Um, I can shed light on some of the stuff that arose out of the investigations with internal affairs. I was uh, defending my character. Um, they were calling me a liar and lazy, and I was doing whatever it took to defend myself. Well, I'm sorry that they took offense to that in a closed-door internal affairs meeting, that I was being disrespectful. Um, In regards to the public, I'm not sure. I I do the best job I can. Um, I've gotten to the point 15 years now that on these calls that might seem little to me, I know are important to the citizens where I actually put, I know this sounds corny, but I actually try to pretend, okay, this is my mom or this is my neighbor, this is my dad calling in. This is a big deal, and I need I need to show that, come through with, you know, and watch my nonverbal language. Because I think the last numbers that came out, the Fargo Police Department is fielding 300 calls for service every 24 hours. So, I mean, we're going call to call to call. And I, I just do my best. Again, nobody told me any differently that they weren't happy with my performance, nor did they call back into dispatch to complain or any of my supervisors.
0: David, how, how, how do, what's what's the headline you want people to take out of this? Because this is obviously, you know, the, the police department is is very important in in any given community. Fargo, not not unlike any other, and obviously, you know, the police department is is at at, at the end of the day just people, people like you, people like Chief Todd. So when something like this happens, where you know a, a member of that department is is terminated, and and the department is saying that you, you know, they're making some pretty heavy accusations here and you're saying that they're, they're wrong. You and your attorney, Mr. Freeze, are saying that they're wrong and even to the point of being slanderous. Uh, I mean, what, what's the headline you want the public to
2: take away from this? I mean, how, how, how should they feel about this situation? Well, first of all, this I don't want any negative feelings or any negative vibes to come back to the Fargo Police Department. I devoted just under half of my life uh, to that institution and to my community. Um, I had the opportunity to work with some of the best people this country has to offer. I guess the headline that I would want is I would expect them to treat me, as you said, like family, progressive discipline. I've identified areas where I've fallen short. And give me a fair investigation and a fair shake.
0: All right. Well, David, thank you for your time, and Mark, thank you for yours. I wish we had more time today, but but we're out of it, so I appreciate both of you. More to come straight ahead on The Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. No go away. Hey, Natil. Do you know what pharmacy benefit managers are? No. Yeah, neither do I. (laughs) We're about to figure it out, though, because we have uh, State Senator Nicole Pullman on. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. If you want to join in, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Senator, how are you doing?
3: I'm great. How are you, Rob? I'm doing all right. You having a good summer? Having a great summer. Getting ready for school, though, back to school. The kids yeah. are in, in the building today getting schedule changes and uh, ready, ready for school to start. Football practice, I, I think, starts today, and we're, we're ready to roll.
0: As a kid, I couldn't stand when the back-to-school signs came out. As an adult, I don't even have to go to school, and it puts my teeth on edge.
3: Well, I'm a teacher, and so I, I still love yeah, back to school. But I suppose that's a good was, thing. It means I'm in the right job, right?
0: I was a I was a not very well behaved kid who spent a lot of time down at the principal's office. So that's I, so maybe that was. My, I can't
3: believe
0: that. Well, it's the truth. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, we had some legislation that we passed earlier this year, and it it pertains to what's called pharmacy benefit managers. Which, and I'm reading from this from a John Hageman article in the Fargo Forum. Uh, pbms have been described as quote middlemen between insurance companies and pharmacists uh, and you told your fellow lawmakers during a floor debate earlier this year that they are subject to little, little or no regulation or transparency now this legislation is currently tied up in the federal courts we are not going to be enforcing it as this as this challenge goes forward but I, clarify this because you know healthcare obviously with what's going on nationally is on the minds of a lot of americans plus the fact that healthcare and prescription drugs and everything costs us all one heck of a lot of money. What's going on here? First of all, what are PBMs?
3: Well, that's a great question. PBMs are something I think a lot of consumers don't even know exist, but they are hired by insurance companies to manage your pharmaceutical benefits. So they sort of decide who gets paid and what they get paid for your drugs. And they save insurance companies billions of dollars every year. And this is a good thing. But what has happened is that they don't have to disclose anything. And so we think that a lot of those billions of dollars are being made on the backs of consumers and your local pharmacists. So,
0: so, so the, he, the, the, the legislation passed earlier this year, and it was Senate Bill 2301. What, what, what did it accomplish? I mean, what, what were you guys setting out to do?
3: Um, there are actually two bills, and both of the bills are subject uh, to the lawsuit. And what we're trying to do is just increase transparency. They're really just about disclosure. What happens with PBMs, uh, one of the ways they're making a lot of money, we believe, is through spread pricing, which means that they charge, uh, they, they charge the pharmacist or one fee, and then they charge the insurance company a much higher fee. And so when, when the price difference between what they give the pharmacist and what they charge the insurance company, um, that's where their profit margin lies. And we believe that they are really increasing the amount they're charging over what it's actually costing the PDM to fill that prescription. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also believe that they're still going to charge you, for instance, your same copayment, even if the drug didn't cost as much as your co-payment and so we we think that that's where they're making their profits and so all this all this legislation does is ask them to disclose some of those things um, as far as the consumer pricing goes it also uh, prevents them from putting unrealistic fees and unrealistic requirements on your local pharmacist because they're they're trying to sort of ...sweeze out the local pharmacist in order to force you to order your drugs through their mail order, um, PBM mail order pharmacies instead.
0: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. if you want to join the program, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. email talk at WDAY.com. How do people get hooked up with these pharmacy benefit managers? Because, again... They're sort of being described as middlemen, and, and anytime you have a – I mean, sometimes middlemen are good, right? I mean, Walmart's a middleman between, like, wholesalers and, right. and you, and sometimes right. sometimes right. that's a good thing. But other and, times, and, I mean, the, the way this is being described, I mean, it doesn't seem like anything other than to, just to make your drugs more expensive.
3: Well, they are saving the insurance companies money. And so the, the good side of that is that that would obviously save consumers premium dollars but they are taking quite a cut out of what they're saving. And so we just think that uh, we we suspect that it might be unreasonable. And we suspect that it might be unreasonable because they are still charging consumers and more importantly, really shortchanging pharmacists on, on that end of the transaction. So we just want to make sure that People can still get their drugs through their local pharmacists. A lot of PBMs want to force you to go through their mail order because they can provide that, they believe at a cheaper, And we, we have said we think that your local pharmacist, especially in rural North Dakota, is important. They are the front line. They make sure that grandma is taking the right drugs at the right time and that they're not conflicting with one another. We really believe that patient care can suffer if you don't have your local pharmacist watching out for you. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329,
0: 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. It's interesting that that you say that because we've obviously had a very long debate over multiple election cycles, multiple legislative sessions about pharmacies in North Dakota. And, you know, for instance, not allowing companies like Walmart or, or I guess basically having regulations in place that, that make it prohibitive uh, to have, you know, for, for a company like, say, Walmart to have, Uh, you know, a pharmacy in their store. And and the idea is we are going to protect these local pharmacies or whatever. Is this another way of doing that? I mean, is this is this another because I, I sometimes I feel like we get a little carried away protecting some of these pharmacies. Is this just more protectionism for pharmacies?
3: I think that this is much more about consumer protection than it is about protecting the pharmacist simply because uh, like I said, one of the, one of the pieces of the legislation says, "Look, you can't continue to charge a copayment that's twenty five dollars if the drug only cost you five dollars to, to prescribe to to fill that prescription." And so, for me, it's about transparency in healthcare, and I think that. If we are really going to get serious about healthcare costs in this country, transparency is one of the key items that we are going to have to have across the board. Um, it's It's always been interesting to me that we have tried to solve our healthcare woes through a financial product called insurance um, and and that has only led, I think, to people not really understanding how much things cost because, Somebody else is paying, and so increasing transparency uh, everywhere, I think, in healthcare is important, so people know what what things cost. But here, it's particularly important because we think that they're they're charging you more than it actually costs them to get that drug. 888-970-9329
0: what about people and I'm playing I, honestly I don't I don't know how I feel about this but I'm generally skeptical of government regulation but sometimes it's okay and i I'm looking at this and what about the argument that just says you know this this is really none of the none of the state's business because I mean it, we're, t- we're talking about buying up if, you know if I'm gonna buy prescription drugs I mean you know it's i'm I'm paying for it or maybe my insurance company is part of that too depending on the situation so you know, basically, I mean, between me and my insurance company, and I guess if if there's a PBM somehow involved in there, why can't that be between the three of us, and, and why does the state have to get involved?
3: And ordinarily, I would totally agree with you on government regulation, but really, in many ways, it's government regulation that has put us in the position to need this. Government regulation has put us in the position where consumers have very little choice when it comes to healthcare and their insurance companies, where consumers have very little choice in terms of, what drugs they are allowed to be prescribed and and where they can get them filled. Pharmacists, too, now have very little choice because they have to enter into these contracts with PBMs. If you don't don't enter a contract into the PBM working with Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you are giving up 75% of the market share in your community. And so uh, it's a lack of choice that really, for me, makes this important legislation because consumers don't really have a choice, and certainly these pharmacists do not have a choice in terms of the contract conditions that they must enter in order to fill prescriptions in their community.
0: So for now, these laws, they're not going to be enforced because essentially it's, I mean, its it, they're being litigated in in, in federal court.
3: Correct. I mean, and we, it, we, the state essentially said we're not going to enforce them. The scheduling uh process in the courts and you know people taking vacations in the summertime sure. all all sort of led to the idea that well we're not going to enforce it not because we don't think it's the right thing to do but because we understand that a judge needs to weigh in well they there were seeking they were seeking an injunction anyway
0: right. they were seeking an injunction anyway so essentially right. it's it's hands off until the courts weigh in i guess
3: right we're, we're kind of taking a time out and and letting letting the courts weigh in on this and there have been other uh, other Laws challenged across the states, but uh, those laws have all tried to incorporate Medicaid Part D or plans that were subject to ERISA, which is federal regulation. Our laws doesn't our laws don't touch any of that, and so we really stuck to specifically what's happening here in North Dakota and specifically what we want to see. We want to make sure that when we set laws as to what pharmacists have to be able to do to become a pharmacist, that a private company doesn't come in and say, no, if you want to fill these prescriptions, you have to jump through all these additional hoops. Um, they they really are a private company that seems to be trying to supersede a lot of our state laws. And so we just wanted to make sure that these companies don't make life far more difficult for pharmacists and that they aren't overcharging consumers. So I, all of this I, disclosure. Okay. Yep. It's just, a, it's a bill about disclosure and okay. most well, of the information me, has to be disclosed me, only when they're asked. Sure.
0: Well, let me, let me ask one last question because and, and I'm, I'm going to use a metaphor related to prescription drugs, because that's, that's just broadcast excellence on my part. <laughs> we are, uh, when, when, when I've, I've had family members who, they get on a prescription drugs and that, that prescription drug has side effects. So then they get on another drug to treat those side effects, but then that drug has side effects. So then there's more drugs mm-hmm. for those side effects. And you get into like sort of a, sort of a spiraling problem there. Do you think we're at that point with some of these regulations? Because I'm hearing you talk about, well, we've got this regulation and it's intended to address the fact that there's not a lot of competition in the markets, which I would say is a byproduct of the fact that it's already too regulated. I mean, the the, the fact exactly that it, it, it mm-hmm. just seems like we're 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 layering on one regulation on top of another, trying to treat side effects from a problem that is rooted in the fact that these markets are too regulated. I mean, is there a point at which it's just enough is enough, and maybe we ought to just burn the whole thing down?
3: Well, I think that that's probably a whole separate conversation if you want to talk about how the markets have been impacted by um, nationalized, um, you know, Obamacare or whatever you want to call it, the ACA. Yes, yes, we're adding regulation because choice has been removed due to regulations. And so, I mean, I I certainly understand your point in saying it's it's just more regulation, but it really is to ensure that consumers aren't taken advantage of. This is really a consumer protection.
0: Well, I understand that. Senator Pullman, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. At State Senator Nicole Pullman, Republican from Bismarck. I'm Rob Port. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY. AM and ninety three point one FM. Natil, uh, busy show today. We, uh, I, I wanted, I wanted to just get in one last moment. I put this up on the blog earlier today. There was a letter to the editor uh, from a number of people who are, including the CEO Steve Sellant of the Great Plains Food Bank, uh, talking about some of the. Um, so, so, some of the reforms that President Trump is is considering for food stamps, he wants to basically reduce federal funding for it, ask that states pick up twenty percent of the tab of the program, uh, and then also put in place some work requirements. Which I'm not necessarily sure is is bad reform. I mean, the idea is that a program like this should be a safety net. Having the state states get some skin in the game, uh, I think might help uh, help a little bit with the way they administer it. And then also, uh, you know, putting in place some work. You know, work requirements. You know, the, the idea is you bounce off the safety net and, and you get back to work. Uh, not, that, that, not that you lay in it like a hammock. Um, so anyway, but it's it, it's interesting to me because whenever the food stamp things come up uh, and going back, I, I think Obama Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack was sort of the first one to say this. But they're always talking about the economic impact. Of food stamps. This was from the letter to the editor. It was in the Fargo Forum. I, I quote, By giving families the ability to purchase food locally, SNAP also provides an important economic boost to rural and urban communities. In 2016 alone, SNAP households spent roughly $79 million in stores throughout North Dakota, generating economic activity in their local communities. Um, the problem with that, it's it's called the broken window fallacy, right? And the problem with it is, is you're doing an economic analysis based really on, on only one part of the equation. Right. So assume that I I come over to your house and I throw a rock through your window. And then I argue that I stimulated the economy by breaking your window because you have to go out and you have to pay somebody to fix it. And they have to buy glass and they have to you know, buy the materials and, and everything else. And that that creates commerce, which in turn stimulates the economy. But the problem is, is it's ignoring the fact that you now had to pay for a broken window you wouldn't have had to pay for otherwise. And that's the problem with with touting government programs like food stamps. Which, by the way, I'm not necessarily against as a safety net program. I'm I'm not arguing against the existence of the program per se. All I'm saying is don't say talk about it like it's some sort of an economic stimulus program when it's not. Because, yeah, okay, the money that the people get through the program and they turn around and spend in their communities, that does absolutely create commerce. But if you're going to count that, you also have to count the commerce that gets destroyed when you take that money away from other people in the first place. Right. I mean, if you take five dollars out of my pocket and you give it to somebody else and then that person spends five dollars doing whatever and you say, look, that was five dollars of economic activity. You're not taking into account what I might have done with the five dollars if you hadn't taken it away from me in the first place. So. and, And again, that's not necessarily an argument against safety net programs, I'm not against safety net programs, I'm not even particularly against food stamps, though I'm open minded when it comes to reform. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that we're doing it necessarily the best way, status quo. But I like the idea that we don't have to let people starve to death. Just let's not pretend something that is is economic stimulus when it's, it's not. Jay Thomas show coming up straight ahead. Congressman Kevin Kramer joins me on air tomorrow for his weekly open phone segment. Remember, you can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, right here on 970 WDAY-AM and 93.1 FM or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.